Welcome to another episode of Strictly Business, the podcast featuring conversations with some of the brightest minds working in the media business today. I'm Variety Co-Editor-in-Chief Andrew Wallenstein. When he's not directing films, Steven Spielberg is also presiding over Amblin Partners, a production powerhouse responsible for movies and TV shows like Green Book and The Americans. Running the company alongside Spielberg is my next guest, Amblin's president and co-CEO, Jeff Small. He's got a busy 2019 ahead of him, including the upcoming release of A Dog's Journey, the sequel to the surprise hit, A Dog's Purpose. Thanks for coming in, Jeff. Happy to be here, Andrew. So we know what this Spielberg fella does. You, however, are a little less iconic. So (laughs) talk a bit about what you're doing at Amblin and and what Amblin is, because it's a a brand that people know of, but maybe not in detail. Sure. So I run the company for Steven and for our investors. Uh, With Steven, I help uh, to lay out the strategic goals of the company. Uh, I help oversee the television and film businesses that we have. I manage our various investors and banks uh, and run all the administrative functions for the company. Um, and it's is he great. a hands-on guy, by the way? I mean, how involved is he day to day? He's the best. He's the best because he is – the first thing I'll say about Stephen, which I say quite a bit, is that he is the best multitasker I have ever met in my entire life. Obviously, he's really, really productive, making a ton of movies, directing and producing. Um, but he's also deep into our television business. And then any of the corporate issues that we have, I can shoot him an email while he's on set and he, he responds so quickly. Um, he just has this magical ability to have his brain in multiple places all at once. Um, so he is not only is he a creative genius, but he also has, um, quite the business acumen. So it, it actually ends up being really easy to deal with Steven. He can understand all of the different levels of the company that I'm dealing with. It makes my job um, easier in that regard and also a lot more fun. And you've got a lot to deal with. Explain the structure of all the different companies that have a stake in Amblin. Yeah. So what we did is back at the end of 2015, we relaunched Amblin. And what Amblin, Amblin was an offshoot of the former DreamWorks Studios. And what we wanted to do was create a television and film company that had uh, a bunch of different partners that we knew and trusted already. So uh, as investors and in, as strategic partners. So um, the first one that we we went into business with was Participant Media. And we had done a number of movies with them, including Lincoln. And so Stephen and Jeff Skoll, who owns Participant, already had a lot of trust. Uh, and they were very interested in going on this adventure with us. So we brought in Participant Media. We um, We... Uh, produce and finance a number of their movies, including Green Book. Uh, we then did a deal with E1, uh, who had been our distributor in the UK and in various other countries. Uh, we've known the E1 folks for quite a long time, uh, and we knew that they would also be aligned in our vision for the company. Um, they're also a television powerhouse in their own right, so uh, there were synergies as far as that was uh, concerned. Uh, we brought in Reliance, who had been with us for a very long time in the old DreamWorks Studios business. Uh, they are fantastic uh, partners and are really, really thrilled with how we're going today. Um, we then, of course, did a deal to bring Universal into the fold. Uh, that's Stephen's uh, ancestral home, I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it just seemed natural that we would come back home, 
have Universal, Universal as our primary distributor. Um, and, uh, it has been fantastic. And, and, and of course for Steven to come home and have, uh, Amblin be with Universal again was one of the most important things that we could have done in relaunching the company. Um, we then brought on Alibaba, uh, as our Chinese partner and also as our investment partner. Um, they were really the only company that we did not know. And what we were looking for in China was a company that had some shared DNA with us. Um, so we did a lot of what I would say dating. We did a lot of dating with Alibaba. We spent a lot of time talking about their goals for their company, our goals for Amblin. Um, Steven spent time with Jack Ma. Uh, they hit it off amazingly, as you might imagine. Um, and really what, what we needed was a Chinese partner that was a one-stop shop for us. They could distribute movies. They could market movies. They could, if we wanted to co-produce Chinese uh, or, or English language movies, we could do that with them. They had um, uh, a huge merchandising platform, uh, but most, mostly culturally, it was a fantastic fit. So that that's how we set up the um, the investment group, a, a group of our friends, I would say. Although it, you know, the entertainment business has some real horror stories of these kind of multiple stakeholders who maybe swell people individually, sure. but. It's a lot of different agendas to balance, and it sounds like you're the guy who has to do the balancing. And we do, and we and we do need to balance because at the end of the day, I want them all to be happy. I want them to uh, be giving us the skills that they do very well. You know, Universal and E1 are fantastic marketers. Uh, Participant makes amazing films. Uh, Alibaba is a powerhouse in China. These are we want to get to take advantage of those. At the same time, I know that they want things for us too. Obviously, all of those distributors and marketers want really good product. <laughs> I, I, I need to make them happy with that. They want to make a return on their investment. Um, but for each of them, it's not just one thing. And I think that that's important. It's not just, I want to make a return on my investment. It's not just, we need, uh, you know, every single movie to be an Oscar winner. Um, it's, it, it's a whole lot of different things. It's very, it's a very kind of holistic, idea of what success at Amlin would be. Okay. So is this the arrangement going forward? Is there a, what does the deal look like here? In other words, is there a, a year, uh, two or three out where this all expires or is that tough to manage? Um, no one came into this with that idea. Uh, Steven's not looking to be out of business anytime soon. And, and, and when we formed the company, that really wasn't what anyone wanted to do either. It wasn't something where we're like, okay, after four years, everyone can cash out and that's it. That's not really how we looked at it. Our, our plan is to be in business and making movies and television product as long as we possibly can. And our partners expect that of us. So um, I would certainly hope that we continue to do that. Uh, if things change, it's probably because we're growing mm -hmm. uh, and we see opportunities to grow. And and I think that we're set up really well to take advantage of those opportunities if we see them. And, you know, TV, I think, is something that while you're probably – Amblin is better known for film, TV is sort of a, a newer area. Uh, and you're also doing a lot of the your own financing for mm -hmm. this stuff, which is not easy. Yeah. Well, well, let's let's remember that Stephen did produce ER, so he has been in the TV space for quite a long time, True. and going all the way back to the beginning of his career. Um, and Daryl Frank and Justin Falvey, who run our television group, uh, have been at the company for over twenty years. Um, 
The difference is that for a very long time, all that we did was uh, we acted as a producer for hire. So we would take a per episode fee. fee. Uh, Daryl and Justin would oversee the production of the shows in most cases. Um, but that was it. We didn't own the shows and we didn't finance the shows. And, and, and that was because the paradigm wasn't that deficit financing was necessarily a great business unless you were a huge television studio. And we weren't. So we weren't going to take that risk. Obviously, over the last couple of years, the industry has changed a lot. And being able to own and finance your own television not only was possible, um, but it could be very lucrative with not a lot of downside. And so we wanted to be able to take advantage of that. Um, obviously, our television uh, team has been in a, had, has done an amazing job of getting shows on the air. I mean, I think right now we have uh, maybe 12 orders, 12 shows ordered on 11 different platforms. So it's a lot of product that they're responsible for. So we felt like if we had uh, that type of market presence we and, and a new company that was set up to be able to finance it, well, A plus B equals C, we should be able to finance television product and own it build our asset base a little more on the television side. And I know one of those projects you have will be with Apple coming up yeah, uh, sure will. for the reboot of Amazing Stories. Mm -hmm. I mean, Apple to me is emblematic of what the business must be like for Amblin now, which is lots of new players, lots of new companies willing to pay for content. Mm -hmm. um, so are, are, is this just a great time for Amblin, given all these new places? It's, it's, it's not a bad time for Amblin. <laughs> That's for sure. I mean, it's, um, I mean, look, we're going to keep making it as long as they keep buying it. And I, I do want to, I do think that we pay attention to who the buyer is. I think, Apple was a really good home for amazing stories. And we and uh, Zach and Jamie, who are running the show over there, have known Daryl and Justin for a very long time. Um, that felt like the right place, the right home for this new round of amazing stories. Um, but we are fairly particular about where our shows should go. Um, that said, it is great to be able to be on 11 platforms. It's it's great to make a show for Showtime or HBO, but then do one for Netflix and do one for the Discovery Channel. Uh, and we do that all the time. Maybe it's a network show. Maybe it's maybe it's, uh, you know, Roswell. Um, it, it gives us a lot of optionality. When you look back on what uh, Amblin has done over the years, there's some great intellectual property to be mined there. And I've heard, you know, rumors and reports. Is it a priority that you guys sort of dig in and take a lot of what's there? Well, it's we really leave it to Stephen. I mean, certainly we hear it as much as you do that there are properties that that Stephen has had over times, whether it's Gremlins or it's Goonies or it's whatever it is, um, that they're ripe for uh telling new stories around or reboot or whatever. Uh sometimes Stephen is comfortable with that and sometimes he's not. And I think, you know, obviously with the Jurassic Park franchise, he was comfortable with telling new stories around it. Others, he hasn't. And so um, we we really defer to him and let him guide us. And if there's a point in time where he comes to us and says, yes, you know, I'm ready to do this, absolutely we dive into that. It, it, it's um, it certainly it's great for the company and it's great to further the brand. But at the same time, uh, Stephen's the keeper of those stories. And for all of those stories, is it the same status? Uh, for instance, I noticed Men in Black coming back in theaters – uh, does that have the same? Do you, does Amblin have the same control over that that they do say 
amazing stories. Steven has certain controls over Men in Black, but Men in Black actually is not part of the Amblin Partners universe. It's an old Amblin property that the original Amblin was involved in. And, and there are some of those, Jurassic Park being another one of them, that Amblin Partners, the company that I run, um, isn't involved with uh, from a business perspective at all. Um, occasionally, particularly on the television side, something like Animaniacs, uh, comes in or amazing stories. And we will be part of that, both from a business and creative perspective. Got it. Uh, speaking of news stories, uh, had you told me, you know, a few years ago when a, a dog's purpose came out that we would see a dog's journey after that, not the kind of IP that I would have thought would lent itself to a sequel, especially featuring a dog that apparently dies several times during the story. <laughs> so how, why or why is that back? Well, the, well, here, here's what we found out after we made the first one. Uh, audiences loved it. They just loved it. My 10-year-old son uh, among them. They, they just loved it. You could see it in the exits that we got out of the screenings. Uh, you could see it in the way that people bought um, the home video or electronic sell-through, uh, how much that they were invested in the universe. Certainly, there was a factor that China was a huge hit. The movie was a gigantic hit in China. Alibaba did an unbelievable job marketing and distributing the movie there. And I think we did $88 million in China with wow. our little dog movie. Um, uh, so once we had another script for a sequel, we sat there and we thought, well, A, does it make creative sense? Is the story good enough to continue this? And B, does it make financial sense? And, and it really made sense on both levels. Um, and we got a great script. Uh, the movie is, uh, it's fun and it's heartwarming. Uh, it probably requires some Kleenex, uh, if sure. not a lot of Kleenex. Um, but uh, we're really excited about it, and Universal's excited about it, and certainly Alibaba's excited about it for China. What resonated? Because you know, it's it's one of those movies that doesn't scream sequel or or even frankly big success. It feels like the kind of thing that's like a a niche, maybe family friendly thing. Well, let, let's start with people love their dogs. Right, sure. they do. You, they, people feel very, very strongly about their dogs, and uh, and so it's it's something that resonates with most everybody. I also think it's good escapist fun. I think it is. If you're talking about a good night at the movies, a dog's journey is a good night at the movies. You know, you mm -hmm. can go, you can sit there, you can feel something, and uh, and I think that that's meaningful in this day and age. And and you know, I think that goes for for. A lot of the movies that we make, uh, if, if not all of them, and the television product, we, if you're going to get people to go to the theater, you have to promise that they're going to feel something. They're going to have an experience in the theater. And I will tell you right now that those theaters full of Dog's Journey fans are going to be crying <laughs> nonstop, laughing, enjoying themselves, and they will walk out of the theater having felt something. And that's really what we want to deliver. Hopefully the dog will not die as many times in this one. Uh, no don't promises. Spoil. No don't promises. Spoil. Got it. Um, of course, not the only movie coming from Amblin this year. Um, another big release for December 1917 with Sam Mendes. I would. Uh, is this sort of the big one for you in terms of all the many things you're working on in 2019? Um, I do love all of my children the same. Of course. Uh, and we do make we do make movies and television of all shapes and sizes. So even uh, 1917 is a bigger movie, uh, certainly in scope and in budget. But um, but I, you know, we also have tiny films. Uh, we have a small horror film called Larry that's very inexpensive that I also love. But 1917 is really something special. Um, you know, 
Amblin and DreamWorks before it, we've, we've always been a place that has been filmmaker friendly. And uh, we've always loved to be a home where those filmmakers could tell their stories. Uh, Sam Mendes has been one of those uh, for years and years and years with American Beauty and Road to Perdition and Revolutionary Road. And, uh, and he brought us 1917, um, which is an epic story about World War I. And it was just an amazing script uh, with an amazing vision uh, and an amazing filmmaker. And, and uh, not to mention an incredible crew. Uh, and I think, uh, when we see that, we feel like we're a place we should be making those types of movies with that type of package. Um, and I do think that that's the case. I do think that, um, you know, at, at the end of the day, we're, we're not that big of a studio. We're not that big of a production company. And there are times where major studios are going to outbid us and they have deep pockets or Netflix has deep pockets or whatever. Um, but we can always compete Qualitatively, we can always compete as a place uh, that filmmakers and the creative community can feel comfortable that we're going to let them tell their story in the way that they want to. But is it harder to operate in an increasingly consolidating world? Fox and Disney coming together on the film side. Um, despite your great eye for quality, mm -hmm. does the quantity game tend to overwhelm that? Yes and no. I, is it challenging? Of course it is. I don't own a superhero franchise. You know, I, I, I don't own a comic book company. Um, and that is, and I don't have a deep library of old movies that I can pull from to make a Bond movie or whatever. And that's a challenge, you know, so every single project that comes into us has to be something unique and new. And, um, and that, that was a challenge 10 years ago. It's going to be a challenge today. Um, especially when, you're making original product and then trying to find a place on the release schedule to put it in between uh, the Avengers and Aladdin or whatever is out there. Um, but at the same time, we still feel like there, there is a place for movies that aren't those. Um, there is a place for high quality. There is a place for uh, Academy movies. Uh, there's a place for the movies that are in the middle. You know, we may make movies that are expensive and we may make movies that are really cheap. We still do make movies that are in the middle, things that are filmmaker driven, things that are, uh, you know, leaning towards an adult audience that might be in that 40 or $50 million budget range. And we've done very, very well on that. And so you still think theatrical is a viable road for that kind of movie? Because it seems like that's exactly where Netflix and Amazon are focused. Right sure. Now. No, I do. I, I, and I think, I think we all at Amblin do feel like that is a viable option. Um, I will say that we take special care as I know everyone does every single project that comes in to sit there and look at it and say, is this something that is compelling enough to get people to get out of their houses? And, and there are a lot of times that we say, no, it's not. And sometimes we say yes, and we're wrong. And a lot of times we're right. But um, in this day and age, that's it. Is this something that is good enough to have people stay in their seats? Is it something that is marketable to get them there? Um, and we feel like thus far we've done a pretty good job of it. And so will 1917, this Mendes film, uh, will that be something that you'll have in the awards circuit come end of the year? Um, you know, I don't know. I mean, I think, I think we need to see how the movie turns out. What, what I think we are making it to be is uh, – a big commercial movie that people are going to want to go see. I mean, that's that, that is the primary goal. And, mm -hmm. and, 
I think what we want is for people to have an experience and buy tickets and enjoy themselves and tell all their friends. And if that ends up leading into some sort of campaign, so be it. But I, I don't think we're leading with a, this is Sam Mendes, so it has to be an Academy movie. I think what we want to do is we want a lot of people to see it. Well, I'm just wondering what Amblin's appetite is for awards films because you're coming off Green Book, mm -hmm. Best Picture. On the other hand, other movies that you guys got behind like First Man and the, the, the Steve Carell movie maybe didn't do as well even that some of them got, you know, First Man I thought uh, got a lot of critical respect. Sure. It is a tough, tough business, that award circuit. A lot of things that you think are going to do great don't. It, it is a really tough business. And, and I think that's why we always try to lead with the commercial side of, of, of things. If we're going to make a movie, we want to make a movie because we want audiences to see it. You know, if, if, if a movie wins a lot of awards but nobody sees it, that doesn't really do well for the company or investors. And, and we're not being broad storytellers. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I do – I do think we have to lead with the commercial side of things. Obviously, we've had a lot of movies in the hunt for a long time. Uh, and oftentimes, we've been very successful with them. Um, and if that happens, that's great. Uh, I think with Green Book, that's a great example of a movie that audiences loved. They, they just loved it. And they loved it worldwide. And they wanted to buy tickets and, again, have an experience in a theater where they felt something. And that happened to come along with a lot of awards acclaim that was not as help. I mean, it was was helpful for box office, um, but also gave it its due and gave the cast and crew the due that yeah. they deserve. Although it wasn't necessarily one of those movies that was pegged early on as a favorite. No. Did you guys see all along that it was being underestimated? Did you have that faith? Not at all, because I, I actually I think. If it hadn't gone through the awards season and had grossed very well, I think we would have been very, very happy. Um, you know, Pete Farrelly had brought this movie to, to participant and to us, and it felt like a great story. And then you put Mahershala and you put Vigo in there and, and, uh, and Linda, and all of a sudden, boy, this is a great package that I think we can get people into the theater to enjoy. He makes the movie. It's great. And then you start to get the the buzz about it being an awards movie, and that's 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 really rewarding too. Um, but it certainly did not start that way. Hmm. So uh, looking out beyond 2019, uh, West Side Story remake that I assume is a huge priority for you guys, even sitting here in mid 2019. Anything that Stephen is directing is a huge priority <laughs> for us. There's no question. And I mean, is his schedule taken years in advance? Does he know what he's doing going through, I don't know, 2025? At this not, point? not always, not always. He goes back and forth. I mean, he, he certainly likes to think about what's next and, um, and you know, that can get reported from time to time. Um, but not necessarily. And sometimes he changes his mind. Um, you know, when he made the post, that was a script that kind of just dropped on his lap and here it is and boom, we're making it. Um, and other times like Lincoln, it's a slower burn where he spends years thinking about it and trying to put it together in the way that he likes it. And then, then he's able to make it. Um, uh, you know, Stephen is not a person that likes to uh, take a couple years off. Mm. That's not what he does. So uh, I certainly hope that after West Side Story, uh, we find him whatever his next movie may be. And you mentioned Lincoln. That to me was the very template for what we were talking about earlier that I think surprised a lot of people sure. by proving this sort of middle market was still viable. Mm -hmm. As you look back on that, were there lessons learned that you're applying today about this is how we hit that mystery market. 
it's look, it's let's just start with it. It was an enjoyable movie. Uh, The movie was a, was a great story, obviously very well directed, but, but also uh, a lot of fun. And, and if you're, and you know, the movie did skew towards older audiences, older audiences are, um, a more predictable segment going to continue to go to the movies. They've been conditioned to go to the movies and Lincoln was right on the bullseye for them. Older audiences went, uh, they ended up dragging a lot of their kids along to go who didn't feel like it was medicine because it was actually entertaining. And, um, and that's a little bit of the potion for it. Uh, I think Bridge of Spies was very similar in that regard, which was a movie that's kind of, as you might say, in the middle. Um, but also was, you got Tom Hanks, you're appealing to, uh, perhaps a little bit of an older audience who could then bring along a younger audience and, and really enjoy themselves inside of a story. Um, that seems to be a little bit of where those movies in the middle are going. Uh, we made Girl on the Train. Girl on the Train was, was a big success for us. Same idea was priced in the middle, appealed to an older female audience. Um, and, and they had a really good time with it. Um, so I think that that's maybe coming off of something like Lincoln. That's the way that the, that, that we've made the mold, I would say. And, you know, we've talked about prestige movies, the family movie with, you know, A Dog's Journey. We even mentioned a little horror. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like Amblin has a particular genre, you know, that it's just doing all things. Is that correct? It, it, we've always been that way, though. Um, and and DreamWorks before us was always that way. We, we don't we don't have a distribution company like a major does. So we, we don't necessarily have have to fill the pipeline in the way that majors do. You know, some years we might make five movies a year, some years we make make three. And that gives us a lot of flexibility to make the types of movies that we want to. Um, it really comes down to whether a story feels right to us. Is this a story that we love? Is this a story that uh, we feel like audiences will love? And if that costs $7 million or $100 million, we're going to try to make it. Um, you know, obviously we have investors um, and we have to be responsible for, or the financing that we have, and we do a good job of doing that. Um, but at the same time, we love the place that we are, and we love to be able to say to the town, if you have a story that is a small horror film or it's a female-driven comedy or whatever it is, if we love it, we're going to make it. Um, and I think that that's pretty unique uh, in this town in the way that movies have changed over time. And I wonder if even though, as we look years down the road, is it possible that Amblin could be known just as much, if not more, for television uh, than the films that we're talking about. Sure, absolutely. I mean, we have a lot of product out there. So, um, and again, that's an eclectic mix as well. You know, we might have something huge like Halo uh, that we're making at Showtime, uh, or we might have Animaniacs, or we might have Why We Hate, which is a documentary. Um, we want to be able to do all of those same things on the television side at the same time. Um, Again, we want we want the creative community to come to us with their stories, no matter what they what those stories are, what the genre is, what the size is. Um, so yes, I mean, I, I think that inside the town, the television business already has a reputation of being a really good producer of content. Um, as far as expanding the brand, absolutely. You know, we're, we we always love when people think about Amblin or they think about DreamWorks. And so you occupy this niche where you're able to do some of the smaller stuff. But I wonder in the scheme of things, as everything in this business consolidates, can you guys afford to sort of sit out that consolidation or will you inevitably get wrapped up in it somehow? 
That is a fantastic question. I, I, right now, I don't feel like we will. Um, but again, I think when we formed the company, the idea was to make as much content as we could and to grow. Um, so you never know. I mean, it's, you know, a lot of times companies like ours end up combining with other companies because the principals want to move on. I have a principal who does not want to move on. So, so he, he, you know, he, he feels like he's in it for as long as he can. And, and, and we love that. And so, um, if that means that we'll be doing this several years from now, great. And I think, uh, our partners will be very happy with that. If an opportunity comes along that we all feel is right and Stephen feels is right. Yeah. We'll pursue it just like anyone else would. Well, Looking forward to, to seeing what you guys put out this year and beyond. Uh, Jeff, thanks for coming in and talking with me. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. This has been another episode of Strictly Business. Tune in next week for another helping of scintillating conversation with media movers and shakers. And please make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear future episodes. Also, leave a review in Apple Podcasts. Let us know how we're doing. 